Michigan Hockey Cast 5.3. Hope you like penalties, power plays, and power play goals because there were a lot of them. Keeping with the football tradition of Michigan only being on Big Noon kickoff, it was also brought to Yoast on Friday night where I guess most, if not all, of Sands Urban Meyer Big Noon kickoff showed up at the, at the game on Friday, at least for the first intermission, but Reggie Bush would not go on the ice. And just hung out on the side. You had you had Rob Stone, who I, I wasn't even aware that this was really going on because he's like walking on the ice, and then there's like Brady Quinn and Matt Liner, and everyone's like kind of. I couldn't tell if they were doing like a score or whatever, but then everyone gets really excited, and then then you hear Rob Stone's voice, and you're like, okay, well now I I get it, I understand it, and they're trying to get the crowd fired up. Everybody boos Brady Quinn, obviously. And then they try to get Reggie Bush involved, but for some reason he was just going to stand on the side. And Brady Quinn tried to redeem himself by showing, I guess, I think he actually had Jack Johnson on the phone. Like, it wasn't a picture. I think he actually, like, like, like called him because we have a picture of his phone and there's Jack Johnson's face on it. It'd be very funny if it was just a Google image and he was just, <laughs> he just Googled a photo of Jack <laughs> So I just found that hilarious because, and Matt Leinert's like sliding around on the ice, but but Reggie Bush is apparently terrified of frozen water and will, will not come on the ice. Yeah, all that happened, and all I, I just heard it. You, was, you didn't look up at all? Well, no, I was in the concourse at that point in time. Oh, that's true. You were getting the, the chicken tenders. The chicken tenders. Which, yeah. is, which is your go-to stadium food? Yeah, I hadn't had it in a long time. So I went down to get that, and then as I was walking around the concourse, and I was waiting for that elevator, the slowest elevator of all time, <laughs> um, I hear them like, oh, we're doing the Scoro with the big noon guys or whatever. And I'm like, oh, interesting. Did, did you know that the all-American girl, Jenny Taft, went to BU? I did not. How that. ironic is that for this I, game? Do you think maybe that's why this kind of came together? Is She was like, I hey, I want to go see the yeah. game. Um, and they're like, well, we're here anyway, since we just followed the Michigan football team around I every mean, Saturday. BU, to my understanding, does have like a pretty good communications like program and stuff, so it's not, uh, not surprising well, yeah. that... Law school, I think, too. Yeah, so that uh, that she came from there. I, I don't know. That was, was pretty interesting overall. Um, I think it would be really interesting this week if if Big Noon Kickoff just took the week off because Michigan was off? Well, they're going to Iowa City to see Iowa, Ohio Isn't State. that in Columbus? Oh, is it in Columbus? Yeah, I think so. Okay. But that would be even more of a shot at Ohio State. We're like, well, you know, we're off this week because Michigan's yeah. off, so we're just not going to go. <laughs> Actually, we might go up to, it's, it's, to up to the Sioux and cover Michigan and Lake State. <laughs> it's kind of funny that that show has become, like, they've, they've worked so hard to make it a thing, right? That, Why? Well, like, college game day was always the thing, right? Like that, right. And that, then that and jumped then the shark, day. like, 10 years ago, or 12, 15 years ago. Well, that's because you're old. It jumped the shark, like, maybe six or seven years ago. It was a definite thing when I was a kid. Well... Like, early 2010s. Like, I remember when it came for Under the Lights, which was, like, yeah. the first time in, like, five or six years. Like, that right. was a big deal. And I remember when it 
came to MSU yes. for the first time 2000, in 2010 or right. 2011. It was a big time. That's big 10 years ago. You said 15 years I ago. I said 10 or 15 years yeah, ago. Yeah, I, I think it was more like 2014 or 2015 personally. I mean, I even remember, like, so it's our, still a big deal if it comes while you're in college, I think. So my... Like, it came for... Okay, but do you for, watch it? For the Wisconsin game when did you stop? And I remember, like, a lot of people... When did you stop watching Game Day? I'm not talking about going oh, to Probably when I stopped being awake when Game Day's on. <laughs> Which was when? In college? <laughs> I don't know, like maybe 2013 or 2014. Right. And I used to get up, my, my buddy and I in high school used to get up to watch it on purpose. And it was great because it was actually like a sports show. And then it kind of became like one big fluff piece after another, after another, after another. And it got extended. And then remember they added the third hour. And I remember like turning it on. It used to come out 1030 and they moved back to 10. And I remember like starting to watch it and being like, wow, I'm going to do a lot of other things and I'm just waiting for football. And I like would meander around the house and get errands done because I, it wasn't holding my attention anymore. I feel like that was... So there was like, I thought, you know, people knock off on things, right? And Fox is like, all right, we're going to like start buying up all the sportscasters. We might as well take off on game day. Well, clearly someone at Fox... Uh Basically, their brain is just stuck in 2005 because all the people they hire, like, imagine being told in 2005 that, like, this is the crew and you can go see them and you can get autographs from them. Brady Quinn, Matt Liner, <laughs> Reggie Bush, and even Urban Meyer. Like, he was, that was right after he was at Utah and was, like, the hottest yeah. name on the block. Like, everybody on that crew but those people achieved were, the peak of their fame but those more or people less were, in that very close window. But they were playing then. That wasn't their media career. Well, right. But that was when they were popular. That's true. Anyway, so Big Noon Kickoff came to Yoast, which was perfect because by the first intermission, the game was mostly over and we needed some other entertainment. So are I they want... going to be back for the Minnesota series at Yost? Because they're going to be here for Illinois. Guaranteed. You think so? Where else would they be? <laughs> it's going to be the Big Ten West champion against probably a 10-0 Michigan. That would be awesome. I mean, where else would they go? I guess Ohio State, Maryland's that weekend. I... But if Talia is injured, which maybe he is, maybe he isn't, um, I don't think, I think the Illinois game would take precedent. I suppose. I guess it's still dawning on me that Michigan-Illinois is going to be a battle of what, like, a... Uh, 10 and 0 and 9 and 1 teams. Illinois is probably going to drop another game. So lose. I don't know. We'll Maybe. see. Should we talk about hockey? Uh, sure. I suppose. <laughs> so Michigan wins 9 to 2 on Friday. Um, and people are very excited because the score indicates that this was a big win and it it was. I mean in a lot of ways it was they scored a lot of goals and and there were dominant stretches especially on special teams, but it was a very weird game. Uh, the first thing that I noted was that they brought in Philippe Lapointe for Keenan Draper, and, and there were a couple of people talking about how Draper played pretty well last weekend. It was interesting to me that he was the guy that sat. I don't know. I, I guess I'm kind of interested in, like, like I guess is, is Granowitz just a fourth-line center now? Like, is it because he can play center? Well, they... They're trying to figure out who the centers are, and they're trying to figure out how they will not get whipped in the face-off dot, because that's kind of a thing to talk about the at some o- point. The only thing that's been happening. I mean, is it something that, like, I don't know. I mean, I thought, I've always said face-offs are overblown, yes. Yeah. But when you're, like, that Friday game especially, they really got whipped in the face-off dot. It didn't matter because of the final score, but they lost some crucial draws on Sunday, in particular on special teams. So, yeah. 
they that's something to figure out, and I think that would be in part why they're trying different guys at, at center on that line. So if you want to get a spot on the ice regularly, win a faceoff. Yeah, <laughs> especially especially on the fourth line. Um, I so the first. I don't know. A few minutes of this game was a little hairy, I thought. The Michigan was um, hemmed into their own end. BU came out very physically, trying to push the pace and trying to impose their physical will. Michigan, I thought Luke Hughes had a rough couple minutes just turning the puck over in the end. Um, other defensemen and players did as well. But uh, Eric Portillo kind of like steadied the game for the first five to eight minutes because... I mean, Michigan got down on the other end, but um, the better chances at five on five, at least in the first few minutes, definitely went to BU. Yeah, I thought BU started uh, this game pretty solidly, but that was one of our few glimpses at a normal game in this one. Right, and I remember like a lot of it was just that was a talking point because. But that's also the first few minutes of a series, and the two teams are feeling each other out. Right. And sometimes one team is a little more energy out of the gate. You never know about that. That's true, and but I I just thought he had about three or four big saves that easily could have been one, maybe even two nothing before you really get your feet under you in this series, and uh, Portillo really held Michigan into the game, and then and then the penalties started for BU. I mean, um, Mackey was interfered with, and Michigan got a power play that they didn't do a ton with. They had. Um, a, a scramble in front that the puck almost went in, and then they had I, so this. I saw this three or four times, and and they're they're really trying to force the puck like across the center. Like if you run a one through one, and you're hitting the the guys on the wings are are trying to hit each other, and that's a great pass if it's there because you change sides so quickly and the angle from the goalie, and he's got to like work through traffic. Um, but they missed about three or four of them, and and they missed them because they threw them into sticks. Yeah, well, BU had that pretty well closed off. Right, that they came ready for that, and you know, there's a way to defend it that you can pretty much take that away, unless Michigan's got, you know, an incredible player executing that, which I don't think they do. Um, so, so they they don't score on that power play, but as we like to talk about, in our opinions, power plays don't end until you get a clear or a shift change or a yeah. whistle or something. Sometime when you can reset afterwards. And Gavin Brindley hit an open net after a really nice backhanded pass from Jacob Truscott. Um, and I think Rucker McGordy had the initial shot that, that drew the rebound. Yeah. Truscott dished it to the side. Brindley filled the net. It was one nothing Michigan on a, I called it like, <laughs> I think I called it like a half power play goal because it is, but it wasn't. Um, it was a it was a it was a nice little play. It was nice to see Truscott with that sort of backhand play. It was interesting to find near the net too. Yeah, uh, Rutgers shot there helps kind of create it, and then Truscott sets it up. I mean, for all intents and purposes, that was a power play goal because you have a defenseman up on the play, and uh, you know fewer BU defenders, kind of a lot of chaos going on. It's right after the the power play ends, so I kind of consider that a, a power play goal. And then BU gets right back on their horse and starts coming down the other end. Um, I wrote down sleepy defense. They had an open look from the slot and then another save from Portillo. He had about two or three in that stretch. I wrote down, I, I thought BU had a decent shot at getting three goals there. Obviously, probably not all three of them, but you had very nice opportunities. 
And that's when the game changed, because uh, Mackey's coming across the ice trying to get the puck out of his slot and house area and just gets popped in the head. It's a five-minute major. Um, I don't think there was a whole lot of debate about that one. No, and I was right next to you at the at the time, and I immediately just said, no, that's five. Yep. Like, and it was <laughs> pretty much as... As clear as it gets, uh, just put up my hand, and that was that was it. So you did put up your hand. Yeah, you were doing a lot of the five. Signal. You were doing a lot of signaling. I mean, it's it's the guys there, and the the comes across the point of contact is the head, shoulder, the head. I mean, that's one you don't even need to review. Yeah, as it gets. but they did. I think. Well, they have. To. Yeah. I mean, technically, yeah. they have to. And then within about a minute or so. Um, Brindley's coming into the zone, gets the puck kind of stripped off him, follows it with his with his head, and he gets clipped in the head by another BU player. I think Tuck was the first one. Tuck was the first and one. Was that, it McCarthy on the second? I don't one? remember the second one. So, that one was a weird one because it was kind of away from the play. The puck was in a different... He lost the puck. He's carrying the puck. Yeah, it gets pulped it. away. And then a lot of people, including me, were looking at where the puck was, and then all of a sudden there's a collision, and then... You know, they didn't show as good of replays, I thought, either. Um, so I, I didn't have, like, a huge take on that one. But um, they made that decision uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, so Michigan has, like, 404, I think, is what the marker was, of five on three, all you can eat. This is not yep. like you score one and a guy comes out, you score another one, you get your two. This is you can fill it up as many times as you so can put it in. Old school five on three because in the... Early days of hockey, up until the late fifties, power plays were always like that. You just got the full, oh really? Yeah, you got the full time, and then huh. you just got to score until it was over. And then the Canadians scored ten goals on a power play, and they realized they had to change the rule. Yeah, it was the. Is it my right? Because I'm just making that up. You know, you're basically there. The, <laughs> the Montreal power play in the late fifties was so deadly seventy eight percent. They changed the rule because it was it was too bad, but. No, I mean, this is a case where you get the four, full four minutes of five-on-three, and at that point, you have to score and you have to win the game. Yeah. You can't win. You cannot lose a game where you have four minutes of five-on-three continuously. I was talking to somebody about it later, and, and they were like, yeah, I was really nervous because, like, this is when it all happens or it doesn't. And if you and if you yeah. don't convert here, then it's like, oh, God, what are we going to do, you know? And Well, and also part of that is that unless the game spirals, like, we know the way officiating is, like, you're probably not going to get many more power plays the rest of the game. Yeah. <laughs> because if you that's get reflective that many happens. power plays right off the bat. So it's, yep. that's your chance to kind of, yeah, not just build a bigger lead, but also put the game out of out of reach right away. But fear not, because Michigan right. did score, and then they scored, and they scored again. The first goal was a nice little dish from Duke to Mackey in the middle. He didn't get really all of the puck, and you thought that Comesso probably should have gotten a little more of this? Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he he's there, and it kind of just slips between the blocker and, and the the pad on his right side. I, he just kind of gets through, and eh, that was kind of my feeling on it. It was like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Puck movement was good. The shot, they just didn't get a lot on the shot. Yeah. And then it just kind of still found its way through. Yep. And then within, not lo not long after that, Mackey takes another shot from a little bit further away. And this one kind of trickles through but doesn't go in the net. And TJ Hughes yep. is right on the doorstep and taps it in. Uh, something that's generally probably easier uh, on a 5-on-3 where you can't check everybody. And so you just get to kind of walk in. 
and it's 3 nothing. you're probably feeling like, we're in good, pretty good shape here. I mean, you can, can always lose a three-goal lead over the course of, of you know, a couple-plus periods. But Michigan is in good shape. And then they actually get, well, in my opinion, probably their best goal of the weekend was a very nice tic-tac-toe between Brindley, Casey, and Rutger. Uh, or did... I think Casey got the goal. So it was it was Brindley was in the middle, went to one side to Rutger, and then the cross through yep. across the ice to Casey on the one timer, and he just blasted it, and it was four nothing. Yeah, at that point, it I, I was interested at that point because now you're in a situation where Michigan has this very large lead, but now they have still a lot of game to play, and how are two they plus periods? How are they going to be able to um, defend this lead? How do they sort of uh, approach that and everything? But Unfortunately, the game just kept being goofy the rest of the way. Yeah, so it's it's for not the funny thing was like I think they still had like thirty yeah, seconds to a yeah, minute. I mean, they could have gotten they could have gotten another one. <laughs> and I and I asked a number of people, have you ever seen this in hockey, where you had four minutes of five on three? I don't remember it at any point, but yeah. it would have to be in this league for that to happen, right? Because there just aren't enough five minute majors given out in the NHL. Like those right. are exceedingly rare, let alone two within a minute. Like it just. This is the league where you would see it happen. Right, right. Yeah, and and I do not remember that in any Michigan game or in any other Big Ten that game that I was tuning into. I guess NCAA, it could be probably in some random Lake State against Alaska game that wasn't on TV. But So uh, the other thing that the double major did is it broke the shot tracking stat system <laughs> up in the press box because apparently nobody QA'd what happens when you have overlapping majors and what happens when the second guy comes out and it just froze. And it I was 16 to two for a long, time. well, I was talking to one of the guys running it and he was saying that, you know, we tried to put all the numbers back in the way it was before. And then the same thing happened. So it was <laughs> clearly that was the problem. And, um, I think at some point shot totals were found. I never really put them in a breakdown because, well, I mean, the game wasn't really reflected. Well, you knew they were going to have to go back and count them up by count, hand. Yeah. Um, and so they get back to five on five. We don't know what the shots are. And I thought BU was getting a couple more chances again. Portillo made a couple more saves. And, you know, again, the game is pretty much over, but BU is still sort of outplaying Michigan when everyone has players on the ice. and So the issue with that in part is that you're already in a position where score effects are in place to right. some degree. Right. And so it's hard to evaluate exactly what's going on because you don't know how tactics have shifted between the two teams, and etc. But even if you score the first four touchdowns in the first quarter and a half of a football game, you're not like running the ball out like you you, you can't yet i mean you know you, you but can... the team that's trailing isn't going to run kenneth walker the third at all <laughs> well if you know what game we're referring to but uh okay no it, i mean it does like to right if if you know bu might choose to activate their defensemen more as a result because they want to take more chances because you need to generate a few goals right away and you're less concerned about giving up one when you're already in a huge hole right, right. Like, it, it's the hockey version of going forward on 4th and 10 in the second quarter because you're already down four touchdowns, yeah. right? So there are still some already some degree of, of small changes that are that are going on in tactics. 
Um, so going into the second period, um, this is where Michigan's other bugaboo kind of popped up a little bit. Um, they started giving up some odd man rushes, and Portillo was very good on almost all of them. Um, but that's something that, you know, maybe we can get into a little bit in the next segment because, you know, it happened again on Saturday. But, you know, there are certain ways that Michigan can lose games when they're better than a team or when they have a lead. One of those is obviously penalties and the other one, which got them on Saturday. And then the other one is odd man rushes. Now, Portillo, we talked about in the season preview, is one of the better goalies we've seen facing those situations yep. just because not he's bigger but he just it's he seems to feel very comfortable. He looks very comfortable and stays in front, moves pretty well. And he did that a number of times uh today. Um the the next so like you said it's the game was still weird because there we had a 4 on 4 segment in the second period where it's even strength but not 5 on 5 so you can't really like it's not the same quite the same as playing 5 on 5. And Michigan manages to score, like, two goals during this period. Uh, one of them, Casey, shoots a, a shot wide right near the post, hits off the end boards, dukes on the back door, just dunks it right in. The old Joe Lewis special. <laughs> and then, like, while you're taking notes or cheering if you're at the game, um, he walks in. Uh, I think it was, was it Moyle that walked in? Or was it, no, it was Casey that Casey. Wa- walked in and um, rifled a shot that just went through Comesso, I guess. Yeah, so those happen within about uh, 40 seconds of each other. Yeah. And so after the fifth goal goes in, I all I was looking at was the Boston U bench. Because I, this I, is so it. I thought... He's got to be done. Five goals in 25 minutes, it's probably the hook right here. And, and like maybe one of those is his fault? Yeah, I mean, I thought he was fine for those yeah. goals overall. And, but, but that's a situation where you're just trying to avoid the... Patrick Wall against Detroit, right? Right. Where you just, you don't want the relationship with the goalie to go bad um, because he's been left in. Which, spoiler alert, that's... <laughs> well, yeah. Well, we're not really sure. Cause... So anyway, um, and so I figured that was going to be the hook, and then it wasn't, and then I was like, well, okay, and then just very shortly after that, so it did, goes right through him, and you're like, well, it wasn't the hook, now it has to be, did, right? Like, <laughs> if you weren't going to do it previously, now he gives up the goal that you have to. Not you. <laughs> that could have been the 3 nothing goal, and that's the one you pull the guy, because that one just can't go in. So that at that point, we so, you, it was going to happen. So do you think he let it in as a way of being like, <laughs> you're not going to pull me out, maybe you will now? Uh, it's not a terrible hot take, <laughs> but no, I don't think he did that. Yeah. It's, it's not a bad conspiracy theory. And the problem with this, again, is just like Michigan's getting, what, five of their six goals in very not normal circumstances. Yeah, well, and even though our first one was not really super normal. Right, I mean, that's that's true. So you, you just have a bunch of, like fluky situations that Michigan is cashing in on all of them, and maybe they're they're probably going to be a good team 4-on-4, and they're going to have a good power play this year, as evidenced by, well, most of the games we've seen. But you can't just live and die in those situations. You also have to beat teams well, and if, in if, even strength. If being a 4-0 wasn't already like enough score effects for you, now all of a sudden being <laughs> six a 6 zero. like At this point, it's like, wow, this game, you can't really take a lot from it, because we're already right. now into this point where... <laughs> It, things have changed so much that it's 
kind of a different world. And that's when they give up their first goal, and it's a two-on-zero rush that I didn't. I honestly I didn't even see this. I was probably organizing some yeah, sort of Yeah, they got kind of trapped, I believe, in a neutral zone, and then it just kind of crumbled. And then they had a two-on-zero, and then you know, uh, BU did what they were supposed to on that. So you're like, oh, okay, and then. Uh, and then they get then they get it right back because you have Fantilli kind of coming in on a one v one and a guy coming from the other angle. It's not quite a breakaway. The shot is saved. About the rebound comes out and Samuel's right there puts it in. It's seven to one and it's just like at this point you're just okay. <laughs> I mean I guess that's finally Michigan gets an even strength goal or or a, you know spiritually even strength goal there. Five on five. Yeah. yeah. All right. Five on five goal there. Um, but. I mean, it, they're just, like, everything is going in for them. Um, and then, like, you get, there's more odd man rushes, Portillo makes saves. I mean, that's the thing I think that you, one of the takeaways from this game that you can get to is, you know, for not really being in many dangerous situations in terms of, like you said, score effects, I mean, Portillo played really, really well. Like, you, you look at the first few minutes before Michigan gets their goals, and then there were just a lot of... Um, like chances like this, there was there was power plays that that Michigan I thought did pretty well on, um, or I mean their their penalty kills, BU power plays, and then he had odd man rush situations that he shut down repeatedly. Yeah, I don't have a lot of issue with the way Portillo played in this game, and um, you know he did what was asked to keep this game from ever getting interesting. Yeah, and in. The, in the third period, there's, there's, it just kind of is like you're, you're just playing, playing it out. And Michigan ends up getting a couple more as Luke Hughes finally gets a goal. Um, he beat Duplessis under the bar. I don't think that Vinny ever saw it. And then, no. and then they, um, McGrady gets one off of like a turnover in the neutral zone. He comes in and gets his first goal. And that's kind of like a little bit what we were talking about last week is it's just nice. For a lot of people to get their first goals because they're, you know, you have a vaunted class of, of really good players that are have a bit of pressure on them, especially with everyone being gone from last year's team or most of the goal scorers being gone, that now stepping in and finally like starting to check the boxes of all those firsts that you want to see done, that you can kind of emotionally move on from it. Um, the last thing of note, which... Like, so I guess it was during a stoppage in play when they were skating back to the bench. And um, so I don't know if somebody, like, hit LaPointe or, like, goaded him into something. But he, he definitely headbutted a guy and got five in a game for yeah, that. Yeah, he didn't see that too well, like, on replay. I saw the replay of it the next day, and it was, I mean, it was a headbutt. <laughs> and, I mean, he... he, he drops his head down and hits a guy. And it's like, it's nine to two. And, you know, you're fighting, you're not clearly a player that is going to be dressed for every game. You didn't play a whole lot last year. You, you kind of have to be smarter than that, right? Like, how else are you going to stay on the ice? Definitely doesn't help the case. No. And so then he could not play Saturday. And you're kind of making Narado's decision for him if you're just going to take yourself out the way that he did. It's too bad. I would have liked to see him play, um, especially in a game where there actually is some five on five, and the fourth line is going to get a little more run. Um, but you know, it didn't happen. <laughs> it is what it is. 
Uh, yeah, okay, so that was uh, a weird game, and we spent a while trying to figure out if there's anything to really talk about, and um, a lot of it was just, well, let's let's check it out and see what happens, at least in the first period on Sunday, which is what we will discuss when we come back. I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case... Call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248 and 924 9458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. But the schedule makers definitely did us a solid by pushing this game to Sunday. Now it means another day of working, <laughs> another day of like having to go and do stuff. But um, not having to go and watch and process uh, a big game on Saturday, I thought was great after Saturday afternoon. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, Saturday was probably one of the great all-time sports day that I can ever remember. Um, but then you're young, so you don't have that many years to remember. Yeah, I mean, we could ask Craig and see what he thinks. <laughs> but that was, I mean, you had uh, really a great college football day between the Alabama-Tennessee game. That was a phenomenal game. USC-Utah was a really fun game, especially at the uh, towards the end of that one. Um, yeah. Notre Dame-Stanford was very funny. Um like even some of the, it was even like the the lower tier games, right? Texas, TCU, Oklahoma State was that was great. Good. Maryland, Indiana was uh, very yep. competitive for a long while. There yep. was just a lot of intrigue there. You also had on that day the baseball playoff games, the one were that all forty five innings, one that went forever. You had another one that uh, you had two where the favored teams melted down at the end of the game in the bullpens. Yeah. So that was all pretty good, and obviously there are NHL games that day as well. So it it was a really smart idea to put the the second game of this series on a Sunday because there was a lot less to go up against, even though of course it's the NFL, it, blah blah blah. And but, it was the best, but it was also in the NFL second window, and there which, was really only one game people cared about in that window. Yeah, which might be the biggest game of the year <laughs> in the NFL. So maybe not. Maybe so. I think what Alex and I are saying: Thursday and Friday college hockey games, at least in the fall. I would yeah, yeah, I, that, I would be okay with that. That would be my opinion. But Sunday, all right, not too bad. Um, it probably worked a little bit in BU's favor as they had a day to kind of come down from their emotional outbursts in on Friday and collect themselves. And they certainly looked prepared to play as soon as the puck dropped because they had a two-on-one five seconds into the game that Portillo saved, picking up where he left off. 
on Friday, but I was like, holy cow, I don't know that I've ever seen an odd man rush faster, because it's probably easier to have a goal in that time, because you can theoretically shoot the puck, but getting somehow getting around four of the five players on the ice right after puck drop seems really hard to do. So the other storyline of this game, too, going in, is the uh, the goalie change for you. Ah, uh, yes, which, that is the other thing. occurred before that, uh, that uh, two-on-one happened, because... So not should... just a goalie change, Well, so but... Camesso is unavailable for the game. Whatever that means. I believe. Which means they brought three goalies, which doesn't always happen in college hockey, does it? Uh, I thought so. Do they, do they just don't dress them, so one of the goalies sits in the stands? I don't know exactly. Because the visiting team at Yost has always had two goalies. Michigan's always had their third goalie dressed, but they're the home team. He's usually like a walk-on. But I've never... I don't know that I've yeah, ever I mean, seen what that. happens if it's a David Ayers situation, right? Where all of a sudden both goalies are hurt. I mean, like... Right. I understand what you're saying. Um, I just don't remember seeing too many teams having three goalies on the bench. I mean, BU is... This is the thing that they do. This is their sport, right? Yeah. So they could probably afford to... To send the third goal, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that that's fair. We'll, we'll, we'll give that. So they put Duplessis in net. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's something we, we kind of look at going in. It's like, well, how is this going to change the composure of this game? Yeah. And, um, you know, he gets off to... Uh, it's interesting because in the Golden Age Battle, Portillo starts out very sharp. He makes yes. a few very big saves in the first five minutes. And yep. uh, Duplessis does not. Well, yes, he he definitely misses <laughs> one puck. <laughs> that was... Uh, and then as the game goes along, it's a much more competitive goalie battle. Right. And, I mean, this was the all-Hughes goal, right? Because Luke kind of carries his own and gets sort of near the top of the house and dishes over to the side where TJ is, and he basically fires a puck. I think it was 5-hole on, on Duplessis, and it goes in the back of the net. And you're kind of... Wa- I, w- I walked up to watch the replay up close, and I was like, I mean, that's a bad goal. And, you know, Michigan looked like they were sort of off and running. Now, it not in the sense of, you know, their carrying play, because I thought the BU, again, had the better start. And even throughout that whole first period, they generally, five on five, get, had the better chances. You thought it was a little more even than I did, but... Um, like, when I was looking at the shot charts, I think Michigan had three shots from the house, and BU had, like, six or seven. And even though the shots were about the same in total, I thought BU's were a little more dangerous. But that's just a goal that, you know, you, you don't, if you're BU, you don't want to give that one up because, you know, you're trying to overcome a, a big mess that you made on the previous game. Yeah. And all of a sudden, now you're in a hole on a, on a goal that you'd be like, you know, you got to stop that. Yeah, I mean, I thought that as a whole, the first period, I thought it was personally uh, pretty close to even in terms of the teams playing running gun. It just felt like in that first period, Michigan had clearly the better goalie. That's true. They also got something else in the first period they got in the Friday night game, which was a five-on-three, where BU takes a two-minute penalty. Not this is There's no majors this time, but yep. a, a two-minute penalty and then another two-minute penalty. So they end up having about 40 seconds of five-on-three. I didn't think that they ran this one real well. They didn't get really a grade A look. I no, mean, it, it four, was... 40 seconds is still a long time for a five on three. Like if you're down to 15, tw- you know, 20 seconds and you get a clear, then it's pretty much gone. But 40 seconds, you can even have the puck cleared once and have two rushes. Yeah, this one was definitely not their best showing at uh, five on three. But one thing to note about all the penalties and everything, I don't think this was a coincidence in any way. You, you look at the way BU was playing coming in on Friday. And the way they continue to play on Sunday, 
they were looking to impose themselves physically in this series. And especially Friday, I thought they were pretty effective at times when they did throw the body around and uh, winning physical battles yeah. on the mall and things like that. So they wanted to come out and assert that, that edge. It just got carried away majorly on, on Friday. Wow. And then, you know, kind of bit him again early on, on Sunday. But it, it was not bad luck. That's what I'll say about that. But that's sort of been the book on Michigan right. over the last while is that you probably want to try to push them around and not skate with them. The funny thing is, is that BU generally has the talent to skate with Michigan. Yeah, well, they have some players. It's interesting is they have a lot, they have a lot more upperclassmen than Michigan does. Yes. Like they have like Dominic <clears throat> Fensori, who was on the mega USN TDP team like years ago and is still in college. How is that? A senior. Oh, that was right four years ago. But you would think, well, anyway, continue. Um, and then like O'Brien, who was their first line center, like is also a much older guy. Like they have a lot more experience. I think that works in their favor, where you have guys longer in the program, they can you can beef them up a little bit more, and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I did want to note on that penalty or that that power play that Michigan had, Samo did hit hit the bar. So they did yes, come close. That, yeah, that and, was a good look. And then the game really changes if he hits that one. Right, because then it's 2-0, yeah. and and all of a sudden it's it, you almost have to start adjusting your play because the period's over. I just thought that Michigan struggled in their own end that period, and they that a lot of, in a lot of ways continued into the second period, uh, at least when there was 5-on-5. Five five. But in the second period, there was not a lot of 5-on-5 five five because it was a, per, a penalty parade, where team each team just sort of alternated chances, um, uh, but but before the penalties really started too much, uh, BU was able to tie up the game. And and this I, I called this a three on two. It, maybe it wasn't, but um, my rationale was that like the first three guys into the zone, and it wasn't like three in a row or three guys and two guys, but the first three guys into the zone for BU on this play all beat their Michigan counterpart into the zone. So a guy gets in, the Michigan guy's kind of trailing him. So he's not like going right at the net and you don't have a two-on-one, but all three guys, when they enter the zone, are in ahead of ahead of the, the Wolverine skater. And, you know, the guy gets below the goal line and, and throws it in front and you kind of have a, a more or less an easy little slip tap in goal from right outside of Portillo. I didn't think he had a real good chance at that. I mean, maybe he could make the save, but it, when you're shooting from that in tight... And, and you and your defenders are all in trail position. I mean, to me, that's more on the defense. And I thought watching that goal and looking at the course of the season so far that Michigan needs a bit more from their forwards offensively, and to, or not very defensively. <laughs> well, they can uh, use more goals than anything, too. Um, like in the back check there, because yeah. they're they're all late getting back on, on that play. And that's kind of a thing we've seen in, in seats and the rushes is that they they turn it over like way up ice, and then everyone's late to get back. And this was Ciccolini, so it wasn't even the center. Like he was, he's right. Well, I, I was watching that, and I was rewinding it and looking, and just like, well, where are the other forwards? Like, they, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like I, in some ways, it's kind of reminded me a little bit of like the during the COVID year, the Canucks gave up like a gazillion odd man rushes like that whole season and the yeah. forwards would just constantly get trapped like deep in the offensive zone like below the goal line and then they would just be like having to sprint all the way back was that a quinn hughes special no he was the one getting left out at the top wow. right? and him and the defensemen were there like they just got no there it was a very disjointed system and the and the forwards were caught way up ice a lot of the time and they kept giving up the 
all of these these rush chances against and and on my initial look that's kind of what it feels like here for Michigan is their forwards get trapped way up ice and then they have to come flying from way behind and you know one turnover puts the defenseman in a really tough position and in that one it, it just happens to hurt them well yeah that that one does but they're Odd man rushes have they they've basically given them up in every game this year. I mean they've only played four games, so it's not a huge sample. But you're starting to see a trend. I think they gave well, up five playing, against BU. They're three. playing a, a lot of fire wagon games here to start the season. Right, but they're also not getting a lot themselves. Like they're they're not generating many chances, and and usually in 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 a lot of when, when you're doing that, you're Take, you're, you're getting caught because your chances aren't working out or because you're trying to force a play or something. And, you know, they're, I, I'd have to go back and count them all up. But I think on the weekend, maybe they got two and they gave up eight. I'm pretty sure. And then back in the Lindenwood game, I know, remember the one game where they gave up goals? They gave up like four or five odd man rush chances. That, that was how Lindenwood scored at least one or two goals. Yeah, yeah. So... That's something that, you know, we, we've talked about over the past couple of years. You know, you can live with some to an extent, but you have to get some and make them count too. And if you're going to go, if you're going to get the same amount as Michigan or Michigan's going to give up the same amount they're going to get, I like Michigan's chances because I think that they have the right goalie in place to defend some of them. And then they also have the players to take advantage of them. So that's fine. The problem is, is when it's two or two positive ones and eight negative ones, then it gets disconcerting. Yeah. And that, and that happened a little bit on top of some of the penalty stuff that we're about to get into because, um, you know, it just – the other thing that it did is it just kind of broke up any sort of momentum that was being played in this game. And that happened, obviously, on the Friday night to, to Michigan's advantage. This, in the end, ended up being to BU's advantage a little bit. But um, you just had, like, a power play and then – and there were three power play goals in the second period – but then there would be a then there would be a power play for the other team right after that, and then there maybe be one overlapping, and it just kind of kept going. I don't know if that's a style that's being called. I don't know if the referees were trying to like limit the physicality that was being shown by BU, and then Michigan's like not liking that, so they're retali- retaliating, and they don't want to give one team such an advantage. So you're just having to draw all this out. I don't know. I, I it it got to the point of where like it was it, not only was it is hard to keep track of, but it's almost like it's it's you're just waiting for your turn again. Yeah, I mean I th- <laughs> that's a pretty w- fair way to sum it up, especially for that six minute stretch where the game kind of gets decided on the on the power plays. So right after BU does tie the game, Michigan gets their tr- chance. It's their third power play of the night, and um, you get a really nice look across ice uh, between Mackey and Fantilli. The shot gets on. Uh, or they find TJ in front, but that the the cross ice pass, what we were talking about, that Michigan had struggled at times to get through. This one did. It found TJ Hughes close in front. He gets the shot that that creates the rebound, and, and Duke is there for a rebound, Duncan. And that's something they even talk a little bit about Dylan Duke because he's finding his role, um, not even just on the power play, but just in and around the net. We talked about it in the preview. And he's starting to, and he's putting the puck in the net to start the season. Yep, off to a, a nice start to the year, no doubt. So it's two to one. Michigan gets their goal back, but then we start the the negative side of the penalty. I thought Grano took a bad penalty. It was a contact to the head, um, in his own zone. It just 
you know, if he's, it, I don't know. Sometimes there are okay penalties when you're bringing a guy down when he totally beats you and you're giving up a good scoring opportunity. Contact the head usually isn't one of those. It's <laughs> it's just a silly play. Estapa later gets called for kind of a cheesy penalty. You know, Moyle took an offensive zone penalty. There's just things that ways to curtail your own success by taking silly penalties. And, and Michigan has been had an issue with that in the past. It started up again a little bit this year. But, you know, BU gets back-to-back power play goals. Um, the first one, so this is one that's interesting to debate because it's it's 2-1, to one, BU's on the power play, and um, Fensor, right, the guy that you were talking about, yeah. shoots from straight away, and he tucks it inside the post. There's a couple things to sort out here. One, it looks like Portillo is, like, trying to see through a number of skaters, but goes the wrong way. That was the old seeing eye shot through a bunch of bodies. Do you think that went that went through bodies? I thought he was pretty open. There were a lot of people between him and Portillo. I mean, he, he put it on the far side, but Portillo clearly just didn't know where it was because well, of all the bodies in he, front but of him. I thought he moved to the right and sort of vacated the left side, and that's where the shot went. But if you're moving to the side because you're trying to pick up where the puck is, that's, yeah, you know, that's, that's how it goes. I mean... I I thought he bailed early. Those but. kinds of shots had kind of gone out of style, but I do like them every so often. Yeah, just to, to sort of like just keep somebody it. honest. Well, I mean, against Michigan, I think it's okay. You you don't need to necessarily try that. I think they're very defective against teams like Notre Dame, and especially when you see them in the NHL playoffs. Like if you're facing a really good team that knows how to defend. And not necessarily even on the power play necessarily, but even just like at even strength. Mm-hmm. So if you're facing a great goalie who who is going to stop a lot of shots that they can see, throwing one at the net that he can't see, every so yeah. often it works. And yeah. So I, I actually don't hate those. And that one happened to, to kind of work its way through, and Portillo was a little, I'm just, you know, he didn't have his bearings on that play because it, there's a lot of traffic. Yeah. Um, I Yeah, that, that that's fair. I, I um. Later on then, before we get to the next power play, I thought, like, so this was part of Portillo's game is that, you know, he was beaten a few times. I didn't think most of the goals were on him, but he started to show a lot of different kinds of saves. He had a couple major kick saves, like where he really shot his leg out and almost did the splits because at one point he couldn't even get up. He was that far stretched out. He had a very nice poke check in the first period where a guy's coming in on him after a bad defensive zone turnover. And then in this situation, he had an awesome glove save. I thought that was going in, but he reaches out almost Patrick Waugh style and like snaps his glove off to the side and, and basically takes a goal away. I mean, he did, he certainly did his part in my opinion tonight or, or Sunday. I mean, Friday, but Sunday too. Uh, um, so what I thought days. about Portello. And and this gets into the third goal that he was generally very strong in this game and a lot of good saves. But I thought on the third goal, that power play sequence, rebounds were a bit of an issue. Okay. Because shots were coming in and it was basically like if you ever play where the you play with a racquetball, right? And you throw it off the wall. Yeah. We used to do that in in, in school. Yeah. Where you'd throw it off the wall and everyone jumps up to go get it. Yeah. That he was basically the wall there. Like you they would take shots <laughs> and it would just rocket right back. Okay. And so Michigan weren't you know, BU had a lot of uh, consecutive zone time in that in that power play, in part because they take a shot, boom, it just slingshots right, comes back, right back to, them. to them. 
and that allowed them to get more looks, and, and it was just kind of a minor critique, but that was the thing where they were a strong puck possession team on that power play. Their puck movement was so good, yeah. and then they kind of fed off of the ability to just get everything back because it was coming right back to them. Well, they get the goal on the, the their third goal on that on the the I think it was their fourth or fifth power play where it, when when that happens all four Michigan players are in the corner. Well, and it a couple are on the board. One guy but... makes a no look backhand pass off the wall of the slot. I mean, BU's puck movement in that power play was so good. Yes, and, and you know Michigan kind of was overcommitting a little bit. They were trying to be aggressive and sell out to to break a play up. And the, the movement that BU showed was just masterful to go around that and prey on those tendencies. Sure, but you can't have four guys, all four guys, leaving the slot. I mean, under what circumstance does it make sense that you should take all of your players on the ice and move them into the corner or to one side? I, I just... I mean... You're just begging to well, sure. score it on. And that's essentially what happened, because there was a guy that yeah, was think, wide open in the slot. probably the... If you, Remember the old Bobby Ross quote when he was coaching Lions, where they asked him, I don't know exactly the context, but about something bad that his players did, and he like, you think I coach him to do that? Well, you're right. Like, I, I don't think that's a schematic thing. No. You asked Nerado, I know he no. said, I took out the whiteboard and drew that. Like, We're all going to the corner. Yeah, you think I coach him to do that? Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> that's, I'm not saying that. i just saying that when you do that, you give up a really good chance, and that's what happened for the game winner. Is You made a nice pass. You are correct. But you, it would be nice to have someone in the shooter's face in the slot and not three or four guys in the corner, is all I was saying. Um, and then we get to the situation that you found um, as intriguing as any, is uh, Rutger gets need right head on. Yep, knee on knee hit, pretty much textbook, the most dangerous hit of all, pretty much, outside of like, I don't know, maybe hit from behind. A stick to first, the back of the head. Head first into the boards, those ones are pretty bad. But, like, yeah, the knee-on-knee knee ones especially, because those, uh, it's really hard to do that one accidentally, because you line a guy up, you go in full speed, and those can be just so dangerous, because, like, that in particular is one where, uh, you know, not insignificant amount of time, that's a torn ACL, and it's okay. just you're done for the year. I mean, like, that one, and for me, you know, Michigan, right, they challenged that and asked to get a five-minute review on that one, and uh, the referees came back and said, no, we're sticking with two. And for me, that's just really frustrating. So because when you challenge that, what are you? That's a new thing in the college. What are you looking for, though? Like what? What is? What is Nerado seeing where he thinks that's got to be five? I, I don't know what the rule. What the rule specifically is? Okay. That, yeah, I think you'd have to look it up. There's probably some provision that it falls under. Okay. But for me, like again, that's the we we spent a lot of time last year, like zapperering these various highlights, right? Of like, oh, was this a real hit to the head? They yeah. gave it fine, right? And like for the amount of marginal stuff that they call on, on hits to the head, which I would say are dangerous, yes, no question. But like this is the most dangerous of pretty much all the kinds of hits in terms of intent to injure and how often it can be a devastating injury to the guy that it happens to. And like if you're not going to give five, like I just don't care about. <laughs> like it, it's just what you're saying in terms of we're trying to do player safety or anything like that, right? Like yeah. if you're if the NCAA wants to come out here and claim the five minute majors to protect player safety, but you're not going to give five to that. Like you just <laughs> you're not a serious organization if that's what you're saying. So you're saying the NCAA is not a very serious <laughs> organization and uh, on the player safety thing now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm saying that there's probably everyone listening to this podcast that's going to agree with you. Um, so, do you think that Nerado was basically just saying, 
Okay, good try. I see you called the penalty. Want to look at it and see if you want to reassess and maybe it is five. Because it, it, that's the thing that's like, all right, when, when, you, when you challenge a hit to the head, well, you're looking to see if there's a hit to the head. And if you call kneeing, you clearly see knee on knee. So if you're going to challenge that, I just wonder what you saw there. Like, well, it was actually kneecap to kneecap and not knee to side of knee, you know? Like, it's, I, I couldn't really understand what he was really challenging. I guess I could have gone to the press conference and asked him, but um, I did not. So perhaps we won't know, um, but it was, it was definitely an interesting challenge. And that, I thought, was Michigan's probably best overall power play. They did score a goal earlier, but they got, I think, seven shots, something six or seven shots in two minutes, which is amazing. And, like, Duplessis made all the saves. Like, Michigan's two power plays... After they go down 3-2, we're both very strong. They got yeah. a lot of looks. And that is kind of how the dynamic of the game shifted because the third period, uh, Duplessis played really well. And was right there with Portillo, made some awesome saves. And, uh, you know, he ended up being the, one of the big reasons they won the game. Yeah, and the third period was sort of when Michigan finally kicked in in the gear. And, and you know, it was kind of interesting because you're like, well, where was that intensity? <laughs> you know, <laughs> where was that like, drive that, you know, BU kind of came out with in both games of wanting to not just push Michigan around, but sort of take the the play to them, and Michigan didn't really have that as much, and in the third period, they did, and they came out and skated, and I would also say that BU probably was a little care- more careful, and they'd had their lead, and they, Duplessis was playing well, and they were like, all right, we're not going to give this away trying to get a fourth goal, which makes sense on the road, you're slightly more conservative, but... Michigan had, what, five, eight chances to score, like, good ones? They I mean, got a lot of looks, and there was there was the one where Rutger just shot it high. And yeah. Like there, they, you know, there was some other things going on. But, I mean, if, if you think BU's a serious team, which I think they are, this is in some ways the example of kind of the, the problems with trying to play Firewagon all the time. Yeah. Is that you fall behind to a team as a result of various things that happen earlier, and then if a team is a serious team and they know how to close a game out... It's just not as easy. Right. And, you know, BU did. Not to say that Michigan couldn't have or shouldn't have scored on one of those chances, but you don't always in hockey. And when I mean, that's, in some ways, this is kind of what happened to the Panthers in the playoffs last year, right? Like, they're, <laughs> you're constantly playing these 8-5 to five games. You've had, uh, they had, what was it, like a crazy number of 3 nothing comebacks and yeah. stuff like that. And it's like, well, it's a great thing you do in the regular season when you're playing the Devils or whoever. But then you get to the playoffs, and, like, teams know how to guard against a 3-2 lead, let alone a 3-0 lead. And right. that's... You know, kind of the issue, and so Michigan needs to play from ahead more when they're playing here because you can get in these situations where you have all the talent in the world, but the other team has a good structure and a good goalie. It's a lot harder well, and the, to claw back in, in and that the situation. Thing is, is they had a one-zero and two-one lead in this game. It just never really felt well like... because the two-one lead quickly gets washed out right. on the power, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But but even strength, Michigan didn't really start to control the game until maybe late second, but does then definitely into the third period. And then once they did, they did. They just couldn't get one by Duplessis, who played, I mean, very, very well. I mean, he, he I would say he matched and probably outplayed Portillo, who played very well himself. Yeah, and Duplessis is a serious goalie, too. I mean, he they played a tandem last year. He was the one B, no question. Comesso started more, but their numbers were not too far off from each other, and they both came back. So it's not crazy that he played pretty well in this game. Nope. So you get a split. We talked about last week, you know, it was a split all right, and we kind of hemmed and hawed. Probably would have liked at least a tie, and Michigan was, you know, one good shot away from that. 
Um, they pro- definitely have things to work on, and in some ways this probably isn't the worst thing because you now you're going into practice looking at these things to fix after a loss, which definitely is going to stick in your head and, and sting a little bit more than if you'd gotten away with it or gotten a tie and you just think, oh, well, we'll just rescue it again. We don't have to fix this. But So there's, there's a few things that they can work on, especially defensively, especially in their own end. They're a little bit sloppy still, and it showed up on the power play a couple of times. Um, but they have a, a trip up to Lake State coming up this weekend. Uh, the Lakers have, what, played four games, I think? Uh, yeah, let me pull that up in just a second. I was going to talk uh, briefly you wanna, about the just... Should we go around the league first? The league, yeah, we'll yeah. go around the league, and then we'll come back and touch on that. Um, well, also, one more thing to point out about this weekend. There okay. was a high-profile recruiting visit that got some uh, talk on Twitter uh, Sunday before the game. Okay. Michigan hosted a couple players from the Chicago Steel, um, so... We'll give you some updates as the year rolls along and we get more information, but obviously they're kind of starting over in a recruiting sense because um, the 06 batch of kids got released on, like, the day that... Cause you can't contact them before Saturday. Batch? Yeah. So are they cookies? <laughs> they You couldn't contact them formally before August 1st. Okay. So August 1st happened, and that was, like, during the situation with the coaching. Sure. Michigan was high on the eight ball, and they, you know... Uh, just had a little bit of time they lost. Now the coaches are in place, and they're actually starting to reach out to recruits. So they had a couple guys in from the Steel, uh, Michael Haig and uh, Nick Boldenauer, who are both kind of top, 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 top-tier recruits. So they were at the game. We'll, we'll keep our eyes out for future recruiting visits, but just an important thing to just point out that they're starting to actually do some recruiting. That's good, because they had lost a couple of recruits. Which was natural. You have a coaching change, you're a little late yep. to the game to start the new cycle of kids. So, something to keep an eye on. Elsewhere around the league, um, Michigan State played UMass Lowell. Uh, pretty even series. The two teams split the two games. MSU's playing some competitive games early on. I'm not sure how good Lowell's going to be this year. They were pretty good last year, but a lot of times when a team like that is good... Well, um, and they split with Bowling Green the previous week. Right? right. Yeah. And a lot of, yeah, I mean, Lowell split with Miami the week before. So this is, you know, probably not the best Lowell team, but MSU looks at least a little respectable. Um, Ohio State played UConn. They <laughs> tied uh, the first game 0-0. So. Wait, they, they tied 0-0? Where, was that at UConn? Uh, it was. And at <laughs> XL Center in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, zero zero. The shots were forty three for Ohio State and twenty for UConn. Well, so UConn goalie Logan Turnus uh, really showed up. And then the second game was interesting. It ended up being just a rout, six to one in favor of the Husky. Shot attempts in that one were basically even. So whatever happened, did uh, Dobish play? Yes, he got chased. Oh. Um. So Ohio State now four one and one on the season. They play Bentley this weekend. We know how that one went last year. So. <laughs> well, Bentley lost their good player, right? Or one of their good, good yeah, players. So, yeah, so right, we'll see what happens there. But uh, we were following the Notre Dame saga last weekend, and uh, this is still a little interesting to me. They swept uh, Northern, which, okay, that's expected. However, again, you have... Uh, that was in South Bend, I believe. Uh, that was in South Bend, yeah. yes. Three to one and then five to four. So... If you're counting the exhibition against the NTDP, four of five games Notre Dame has played this year, they've allowed four goals or more, hmm. which is just not something you typically see. So no. I'm not sure what's going on there. Not very Irish. Um, and they also got massively outshot in the first game before outshooting uh, Northern Michigan in the second game by significant margin. So 
that series was also just kind of closer than you'd expect. Um, but you'd also expect them to probably beat Northern at home. Right. Yeah. And they play, this is interesting for our purposes, they play home and home with Western next weekend. Oh. So they do the same thing a week before Michigan does. Okay. So that's something to keep an eye on. Yep. That's a measuring stick. Wisconsin is now in the throes of uh-oh <laughs> to start their season. Not good throws over there. <laughs> they are 0-4-0 to start the season and 0-5 yeah. if you include the exhibition. They have now lost to Ohio State twice and to St. Cloud twice. That was this weekend in addition to the Lakehead loss in the exhibition. They've scored one goal in three of four games to start the season, in so the regular season. not a lot of offense, and their shooting percentage has not quite bounced <laughs> back just yet. Yeah, the St. Cloud games, I mean, that's always a solid program. Um, they outshot uh, Wisconsin in shot attempts 69-44 in the first game, and uh, oh, Wisconsin answered in the outshooting 57-49 in the second. So they were more competitive in that one. And that was the two to one game, obviously. Five to one was the score in the first game. So okay. perhaps figuring out some goalie stuff. But this is why I'm interested in Wisconsin. They go at Duluth this weekend. And if you start the season 0 and six, take the 0 and seven with the exhibition. <laughs> I mean, is that the point at which they start thinking about seriously making a change behind the bench? I mean, weren't we talking about that last year? Well, so you come back and right, this is kinda like uh the Brady Hope thing, right? Where 2013, there's a lot of close losses for Michigan in that season, even though the program's kind of going backwards. They were bad in 2013. And, and they're yeah. like, well, we're going to bring Hope back, and then yeah. it, it's not happening the next year. At least we changed so, the OC. So they bring back Granado, and they can be like, well, it was save percentage, and it was shooting percentage, and blah, 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 blah. And then you start the next year, and it's like, nope, nope not happening. It wasn't. <laughs> the players are not scoring goals again. <laughs> Something's so, wrong. I don't know. This feels like a do-or-die weekend for Granado. And there was a lot of people on Twitter that are Wisconsin fans saying, like, he was sitting behind the bench and he wasn't talking to the players. And the players looked checked out, and there's now growing calls for him to be relieved of his duties. So we'll see. I'm always a little dubious of fans' takes on not just effort, but, like, communication on the bench. I mean, I know there's, yeah, that's happened sometimes. I'm not, like, saying that you can't tell in certain situations, but... It just, to me, feels like they need to get a win this week. Well, Duluth's only 2-2, two and two, I believe. Right. I they lost this week. But weekend, you go on so. the road, I mean, yeah. and this is a team that's reeling. So that's something to monitor. Minnesota had a bye week. Uh, Penn State, I believe, was on a bye week as well. I don't see their score. No, no, no. They played Mercy here. Yeah, but, I think so they, they won. They won. <laughs> uh, so you were right the first time. 6-3 to three and 5-1 to one were their scores. Very Here's their first three opponents to start the season. Okay. Canisius, Mercy, or St. Thomas. They're doing the same thing as last year where they schedule buttercups. Well, I think they're trying to, like, build some confidence and get some wins. I mean, like, I don't know where they're going to end up this year. Although last year, I guess they, what, played North Dakota randomly in, in Tennessee or something. And they won. Yeah. Which was their one. Well, you always, play the no, you always play North Dakota in the first half of the season, right? Right. Not, right. not the second half. Uh, other notes around college hockey I did want to bring up. Uh, did you see who Alaska Anchorage played this weekend? Surprisingly, no. Exhibition game against UNLV's club team, which has actually gotten some buzz about perhaps in the next five years transitioning to D1. They have a rink okay. in Vegas. There's now they do. some movement on the ground after the Golden Knights, some interest. I mean, the problem, I mean, maybe we're going down a rabbit hole, but 
the problem with this is what conference are these people going to be in? Like, they're going to be, I assume, Arizona State and then so the Alaska was, teams? I so mean, that what? was my other thing I wanted to bring up. They okay. officially opened um, the new arena in Tempe. Oh, for the Coyotes? Yeah. Oh, oh, no, for the for Arizona the, State. For the they Ice played, Devils. They played their first games there. Okay, they and their first how did they do? Weekends on the road. Um, let's see. They played, they split with Colgate. 2-0 and 0-4. They, are, they lost to Colgate at home? Yep. That's they won the first one, and that was the cut okay. the ribbon game. So. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> but the environment looked pretty good. The stadium was packed. A lot of students there going crazy. More games than a Coyote so game? I, I think that could be an interesting stadium in, in a few years like to go play at. Because they're going to get teams that will go out there and then they'll do the return visit the next year. Yeah. And I think that could be like a tough place to play. Michigan went out there one year a few, they're, few years ago. Be playing in the little dinky barn. Yeah, didn't just, they? I think they won. For, I, they, I remember. I remember the return trip to Ann Arbor in 2017-18. Yeah. No, I think they went out there and they somebody got suspended. I think like two or three players got suspended. Was Alex Kyle got suspended? I think. The other development of the weekend. This is our final note. The U.S. NTDP. Did you see who they lost to on Saturday night? I did not. Bethel University. Four to two, and what's fascinating about this is that the NTDP has been off to a tear to start the season. Yeah, they won. they've beaten several D one teams. Yeah, they beat Tech, they beat Lake State, they beat Notre Dame, they beat MSU, and then they lost to Bethel University, which is not a D one program. Well, maybe that is the maybe they played this, they used their seventeens. I would have to look at the roster, but even then, that's not a game. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they play. Maybe Bethel is made up of like twenty five year old men, it and they just like is. pushed them around. <laughs> Uh, so that that was the happenings around college hockey this weekend. All right, so we we buried the lead, and we're now we're going to get into a little bit of Lake State. Lake State is what I think they're one, two, and one. They so lost at Tech. Oh, that's an exhibition. They're oh one and one officially. They played two exhibitions, one against Tech and one uh, against a CIS school. Yeah, so they lost to Omaha and drew Omaha this weekend. Yeah, three to, three to one and four to four tires. So they've only two played results. two games. Two real games. Well, I mean that tech game is a real game. I guess the CIS one you can't learn anything from. They but. they bought they had a bye week to start the season. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, Lake State was what they played Michigan last year, and Michigan beat them down once, and then the second game I mean, got a little hairy. Kinda, Michigan just kind of. Michigan was clearly a lot better. It was just how focused were they in those two games. In the second one, they were only so focused. Um, Lake State, they rolled over some of their players, but they lost a few as well. They were a very, very, very mediocre team last year. They were smacked to have in the middle of the CCHA. I think they were like 18, 19, and 3 maybe on the year. Like They were a very middling team in a middling conference. So Looks like they have one draft pick. A seventh rounder. Uh, that's not surprising. Yeah. And they lost one of their top scorers, Miroslav Musha, to uh, MSU So oh. in the portal. So, um, I don't know. I mean, this is, a, this is an interesting weekend for me because it's we'll get to see these guys go on the road for the first time this season. Yep. Freshman-heavy team. Yep. This is their first road environment. I'm not sure what the stadium situation is like in Lake State. Is it a, an intimidating stadium? I, I have not been up there. Um, it's... I think it's probably going to be a big deal. I mean, Michigan doesn't just go to the UP very often, and so I Didn't would... Didn't they go to the UP like uh, two, three years ago? They, they went to, I believe, play... I think they played maybe at Tech and maybe at um, I think they Northern. played at Lake State only a few years ago. Did they? Okay. In 2019, or was that in, in Ann Arbor? 
It was the same night as the Ronnie Bell Penn State game in State College. I remember it. I don't think that was in Ann Arbor. Although I probably am not going to remember much about Michigan hockey the night of the Ronnie Bell drop against Penn State. I will be flat honest with you about that. Let's take a look at this. But, you know, when Michigan goes to those games, they have struggled traditionally. They don't usually sweep. And No, it was in Ann Arbor. October 18th and 19th. Was it really? Yep, those two games were in Ann Arbor. Okay, so... Michigan won 4-0 and 4-3. Hooray. Two wins. But so it, it might it might have been a long time since Lake State. I don't. Yeah, and and usually those are big games for those teams when you well, get into like Michigan to go up the there. That's the thing and, at their school, right? Right, right. So um, it, it's definitely an interesting weekend. I think that Michigan is clearly going to be the more talented team, and you want you, the better you team. kind of need to walk out of here with two wins. But it's a tough environment, like you said, and and it and an interesting situation where you're going on the road and. You know, probably older players that you'll be, be playing against. <laughs> Definitely <so>. older players. <laughs> so, you know, it's just going to be one of those types of games. And Michigan's going to have to get used to playing those physical games because that's been the book on them. We talked about that during the BU series. Even talented teams who probably can skate with Michigan are choosing to be like, hey, let's turn this into a street fight and get these guys off their game. And it kind of worked. So I would not be surprised to see it being a little chippy up in the UP this weekend. Yep. And those games are on Flow Hockey. Flow Hockey. Which, what is the subscription price for that? I don't know. Brian will find out soon, though. <laughs> Let's take a look at this and get let our listeners know. But, <laughs> I, yeah. I, last I, year we had to get NCHC. We did. So for a month. And I think we got three games for three it. Three games out of it. Yeah, so that wasn't that bad of a deal. Let's but, see. Join Flow Hockey TV. Uh, are you gonna Are you gonna do it right now? I'm while, while trying we're, to see what the price is. That's the downside of going on these road trips. Is that it's on bizarre stream? Oh, well, as much as as much as we loathe BT. BTNU, at least it's all on just one thing. That's true. And so now you have to get well because they go to Western, right? So that's probably going to be an NCHC TV. Of course, that's literally during probably. State games, well, it so. looks like a few years ago it was thirty dollars a month. Woof. <laughs> That's a lot. That was 2018 and 2019. It does... My guess is that it's going to be similar. Yeah. But at least there's two games that well, you can get for it. Right, and if you don't... We'll, and it's a bye week. We'll tell you what happened. We might <laughs> even... If we can figure it out. <laughs> On the, the podcast next week will just be us uh, recreating the game. By <laughs> describing what the plays were. With stick figures in front of us <laughs> as we try to parse through the data. Anything else? I nope. think, oh, one thing is, is it's, it's a, I think it's at 7 and then 6 on Saturday. So if you tune in at 7, you will probably miss the first period. Yeah, well, I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting to see the, these two games. I think we will learn something about the team, even though it's not the, the, the top-tier opponent. A test of fortitude.
Michigan Hockey Cast 5.3 for Alex Drain and David Nasternak. Come back next week as we will be telling you what the actual price of Flow Hockey TV was. Thank you.